before you're seated this morning, say you look like you lost weight since last week. <laughs> Only say that if it, you think it might make him happy, which is most of us. <laughs> Amen. Thanks, worship team. So my wife said I was going to share a story with you. We're beginning a three-week series on, on prayer. And last week, um, this would have been a week ago Friday, we were driving through the desert from California to Arizona to catch a plane to fly back home after having a few days at a conference that we, we really enjoy. And uh, my wife started sharing her heart. And the heart was, you know, I just, we're grandparents now. And I, I want there to be a place. Everybody say place. I want there to be a house. It's not our home. Heaven's our home. But I want a place where we can really just be the grandparents that we want to be. So how many of you guys know, in order to get the kids to bring the grandkids to your house, it costs more than Nintendos nowadays. So, you know, we start talking about a pool or maybe a lake or maybe some acreage where we can, you know, our only grandchild is a boy, so we can shoot the squirrels and feed the deer until the deer feed us. It's the circle of life, okay? Rafiki taught us. We know this. And so she, I just, how many of you know when someone's talking about a dream but someone's talking about a dream? She said, I just had this vision. So last week, I'm announced to her, I fill out a prayer card that said, God, we need about three miracles. One is we got to sell our home for, for a good price. Two is we, we got to have someone that buys it that gives us enough time to get out of it and find another one. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to let go of the first trapeze until I can clearly see the second one. Just trust me. It's like really rather not, you know. And the third one is we got to find this place. So that was Sunday morning. By Sunday evening, someone had sent her a Facebook thing saying, hey, we've been looking at houses here and there, and Andy Alger, our realtor guy, has been showing us a couple houses. Just so we get a feel for the market, and just, it's Saturday, let's go look at houses and bother Andy. You know? So we, uh, we went out and did this, and, uh, you know, Andy would take a bunch of miracles to do this. So she, this, this text message or this uh, Facebook thing says, I understand you may be interested in selling your home. This is who we are. Let us know if you're interested. So I didn't respond until Tuesday because we wanted to talk about it. You know, this, hey, Andy, are these guys serious? Are they, are they legitimate? Are they buyers? We, how many of you guys know you don't want to clean the house that clean unless you have to? <laughs> right? I don't want to get rid of the, all signs of a dog and all smells of a dog and all every hair of a dog. And how many of you guys know it's pretty much just the dog? Get rid of the dog. The house is clean. Kids are grown, so the dog's the problem. And we ended up, um, they're legitimate. I don't know. So they showed the house on Thursday. They presented us with a full price offer on Friday, and we sold it on Friday. So from last Sunday to this Friday, so I say that for two reasons. One is it's a testimony of, how many of you guys know that prayer card had not made it yet to the prayer team for them to pray over this when God already answered the prayer? And Dina's been telling you about this thing about, you know, put your foot in the water and it'll part. Like, don't, don't wait for the waters to part. You take that first verb, that first action, and watch what God does. So we did, and, uh, and it's pretty cool. So we only have one miracle left. Appreciate your prayers on that. This dream house with ponds and squirrels and deer and, and uh, lakes and pools. And, and I think I'm describing heaven. I don't know. But I think, I think every grandmother wants their grandkids to be in heaven. Amen? So um, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer. And oh, two other things. One is that we sold our house. Um, what does this mean? It means nothing. Sometimes, hey, the pastor sold his house. What's going on? We're moving to Fenton. So you hear a rumor, I heard they're leaving. The other thing is I got, I got a, a position with the district. I'm now the church planting director for the state of Michigan, for the Assemblies of God, which is really exciting. And I, I quit everything else I was doing, all the other entrepreneurial stuff and conference speaking and writing, all that's on hold now getting this up and running. So nothing changes in my relationship with the Freedom Center. No hours have changed. No heart has changed. But when they say, hey, I heard you got a new position in the district and they sold their house. How many of you guys know two plus two sometimes equals 437? 
All right, it's just four. Everybody say it with me. It's just Okay, so we're here. You're stuck with us. God bless you all. May the force be with you, all right? <clears throat> Thank you for clapping, the four of you that did, the rest of you. I know where you live, right? So some people say we're going to teach on prayer, and this is honestly the number one pushback I get when I talk about prayer is they say things like, you know, I wish I was a better prayer. We on a scale of one to ten, what's your prayer life like? They'll be like, you know, are there negative numbers available on this? Like most people don't feel like they have a great prayer life. And I found that some people that believe they have a great prayer life just really have a great ego. They don't really have a great prayer life. They're just really proud of the 14 minutes they take per week, and they think it's awesome. So, um, and people say this most often, prayer just doesn't come naturally to me. I, I sitting still and talking to God, or I try, but then I start writing out lists. I try, but then my mind starts going. I try, but I, I feel. Let, let me tell you, let me just dispel this right now. Prayer comes as naturally to every human being, believer or not, as breathing does. We are built to worship. We are created to pray. This is why Paul can say pray without ceasing, and it's not like, oh, how do I do that? Like, we're really created to pray without ceasing, to be an ongoing connectivity, ongoing connection with God. We were created for fellowship, so don't think you're getting out of this. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. So we are created to pray. And some people say, well, that just isn't true in my life. I think so often, we're talking about it over the next three weeks, because we've said prayer is this, and if you're not doing this, then you're not praying. But how many of you guys know not everybody prays this way? Okay, Bob's excited. Everybody else is silent. Are you guys with me this morning? I got new glasses. I can see who's not admitting my sermon. So um, I, I think one of the greatest examples I came across the other day, Ravi Zacharias was talking about a guy named Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is, is the only atheist that I, I really have a great respect for. He's intellectual. Um, he's not mean-spirited 90% of the time. He is mean-spirited 10% of the time. He instructs people to mock communion, to mock those who believe in the Eucharist, to, you know, all this kind of stuff. So he's, he's, he's not the kind of guy that you want to be a neighbor with, but he is the kind of guy you want to go fishing with because I think I could get him saved. And Richard Dawkins was talking about, he, he's, he was uh, debating at Cambridge with the vicar of Cambridge, which is a British pastor-type person. And, uh, and, he, and he's, he said, not only do I not believe in Christianity, most Christians don't even believe in Christianity. They, they can't even state the writers of the four Gospels. And he went on and on and on, and the vicar sat there and nodded his head and smiled, and finally it came time for the vicar to respond. He said, he said so you're an atheist, uh, Mr. Dawkins? He said, yes, of course I am. To be otherwise would be unthinkable. He's, he's pretty arrogant, but I like him. And he said, uh, he said, and you believe that the average Christian can't say who the four writers of the Gospels were? He said, that's correct. That's statistically true. It's absolutely provable. He said, okay. He said, do you believe in evolution? He said, of course I do. He said, have you read Darwin's works? Said, of course I have. He said, and what is the title the full title of Darwin's Theses on the Origin of Species. And, and it's, it's not the Origin of Species. It's much longer than that. And he goes, oh, 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 God. Um. <laughs> now, isn't it interesting that an atheist debating atheism with a Christian, when faced with a dilemma and embarrassment, suddenly, by nature, in opposition to all of his views, knows how to pray. The most hardened, battle-weary soldier knows how to pray when the bullets are flying. Hear me. Guys, listen. Praying comes naturally to all of us, even to those who don't believe. They still believe when, when life is bigger, when this is serious, when it's no more joking. It's not politics. It's not, do you watch MSNBC or CNBC or I don't know NBC or Fox News? It, it, it's not, it's not a, a public debate anymore. It's life or death. Everybody prays. There are no atheists in foxholes. And so I want you to know something. People who've taught themselves, trained themselves, publicly trained themselves, written a book called The God Delusion, Richard Dawkins, 
When he was in trouble, the first thing he did was say, oh, God, um, oh, oh, how embarrassing, oh. How many guys know that it's already kind of a pansy accent, the British one, anyway, so it was just fun. So um, I, I personally have a journey with prayer, and, and let me just kind of take you through that journey, so maybe, maybe my journey might save you a few years of your, of your own. The number one thing is this. I came across a spiritual discipline of prayer. When I was in a program called the Master's Commission, what we call FCMA, Freedom Center Ministry Academy, it was a one-year commitment, and every morning began with one hour of prayer. You were to pray for one hour. You are to go into a room. You are to close the door. You are to be quiet. You are to sit still at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm 23 years old, 21 years old. It's cold outside, it's warm inside, there's no furniture, lay on the floor and pray for an hour. How many of you guys know what I did? Because you did too, right? I had a great 45-minute nap and felt guilty for the first six months. Finally, I went to the director. I said, Pastor Carmen, please don't. I mean, when I was a child, going to a room by myself and closing the door with no furniture was called punishment. I can't pray this way. I need to walk. I need to move. I need to, I mean, I don't suffer from ADD. I enjoy it. The people around me all suffer from it, but I think it's great. You, you've got to let me walk. And said, okay, so I started climbing the mountain, and I started walking around the fountains, and I started watching the sunrise. And let me tell you something. My prayer life exploded, but not because of the discipline of prayer. And let me just say this. I think that the danger of the discipline of prayer is if we say, well, the discipline's a half hour, well, but my discipline's an hour, there's a, there's a risk for arrogance. The Pharisees knew how long they prayed and when they did it. And there's another danger, and that is that I don't pray that much. So if the standard in Master's Commission or FCMA is one hour, and I can't seem to manage more than 15 minutes of, of attention at this moment, I start to feel condemned. So pride and condemnation come out of standards that are created by man for something that was created to be natural. Now, there's nothing wrong with discipline. And I believe you will learn more about prayer by setting aside specific time to exercise your muscles in faith and in prayer. Amen? but never equate the discipline of prayer with praying. Time management and connecting with the Father are two different things. One can play into the other, but never mistake one for the other. Another reason, another season of prayer for me was the mountain-moving prayer. <laughs> because the devil is deaf and God is shy, I have to yell everything, right? And we're, we're commanding the chairs to be full of people, and we're commanding. And, and, and again, is, is this biblical? Of course there is. There's, there's all sorts of prayers that move out in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. I quoted it a little while ago. Jesus says, ask, you know, and, and you receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. It says, greater things shall you do in my name. It says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to be removed and cast in the sea, and it has to obey you. How many of you guys know God wants us to pray big prayers? But, but there's also something that balances this. Matthew chapter 6, he teaches us to pray. Matthew chapter 7, he warns us and says in verse 21, many will come to me on that day and they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we move the mountains? Did, didn't we prophesy in your name, Lord? Didn't we, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal the sick? And then Jesus, and there's a shocking moment of revelation in his teaching and Sermon on the Mount, and he says, he says but I'm going to say to those people on that day that move these mountains, the problem is not that your, your resume is insufficient in using my name powerfully. The problem is I never knew who you were. And that word no means intimacy. You use my name to great effect, but maybe my name was for more than just moving mountains. And maybe prayer was more than just the abracadabras and the, and the, the extraordinary. Maybe prayer had a deeper purpose than that. So the disciples watched Jesus do these things, and they come to him in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and they say this. They said, Lord... You know, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, I want you to take a closer look at what's being asked here. 
Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this is Luke chapter 11. This is what I know about this. When the disciples said this, they'd already been with Jesus for, some would say, uh, over a year. Some would say just under two years. So let's say a year and a half they've been walking with Jesus. The other thing that's interesting to note is that they were all raised in an orthodoxy of, of Judaism. In other words, there were prayers every Sabbath. There were prayers at sundown. There were prayers over food. There were prayers offered in the temple. There was prayers on the days of sacrifice, feasts, fast, holidays, holy days. They knew these prayers. They were men. Some of them, uh, if not all of them, were married and led their home and they would do the, the Baruch Hashem, the, you know, blessed are you, Lord our God, the giver of light, the giver of salt, the giver of bread, the giver of wine. They, they knew these prayers. So they were a praying people. They, uh, they'd been discipled by Jesus, so they had a front row seat to the master of prayer. Interesting. And then, keep going, they'd, they'd been sent out to minister twice, once as the 12 and once as the 72. And when they come back from the 72, they see things like, hey, guess what? We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like a bolt of lightning. It wasn't like, oh, he's descending. It's like, kaboom. Like the kingdom has come. You went with power and authority, exousia and deutimus, those things he said, I can give you power and authority, those two Greek words. And uh, they healed the sick. They, with prayer, they proclaimed the kingdom where the kingdom had not been preached. They were doing the works that Jesus was doing, and they had Jesus all to themselves anytime they wanted to. God Nabod, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the manifestation of the Father. And now they say to him, after all of that, teach us to pray. Are you, is that sinking in at all? Does that seem odd to you? It seems odd to me because they've already moved mountains. They've already been told to pray. They've already been taught to pray. They've spent a lifetime praying. They've been in the temple. They've been in the presence of God. They've been in the courts. They've seen sacrifice. They've heard the high priest. They've been at the Day of Atonement. They, they've been on, on, the, the, on the water, the Sea of Galilee, when it almost killed them, and they prayed then. They've seen a lot. They've been a lot. They've done a lot. And yet when Jesus comes out of prayer, they look at him and they say, what you're doing is different from what we're doing. And if you'll teach me what you're doing, like, I, Lord, just, we're doing the same works, but there's something different about it when you pray. They move mountains, and yet there's something else. Are you getting this? So why do you think the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray? Or maybe the better question is, what do you think they were really asking for? Because they, they prayed, am I right? Come on, they prayed. They knew how to pray. They, how, many, how many guys feel like if you were casting out demons, healing the sick, being sent out without any extra anything, and God was providing for all your needs, like you're, you're probably not in third grade anymore. This is not reading, writing, and, and what are your colors. This is algebra. This is trigonometry. And yet they come back from that, that sense of, wow, like very few, even prophets and kings didn't do the stuff they were doing every day. And now they come back and say, but here's the problem. You pray differently than we do. We don't know what it is. What are, they really, what are they really asking? I think they're saying this. There's more to prayer than praying and the disciplines of it. There's more to prayer than moving mountains. There's knowing the mountain mover. And that's a missing element in our life. We all pray. We all do the works. We all prayed when we're in trouble on the sea. We all prayed over our food before we ate it. We all prayed over our families at, at Sabbath. We all pray at the temple. We all pray on the Day of Atonement. We all pray. But there's something different. When you pray, there's a difference. And I want, I want you to understand this. And if you're a picture taker, take a picture of this. There will always be an eventual dissatisfaction when the primary motive of, motive of prayer is to move God and not to know God. The best way to learn how to pray is pray to know God, not necessarily just to move him. Are you still here? Hopefully there's a moment of deep revelation and not meditative sleep. 
And this is just a theory. This is the King Jim theoryology. But I think this is why sometimes it's best for us that God doesn't answer our prayers the way we prayed them. I think if God always answered every prayer as prayed, we would never seek his face because we had full access to his hands. But when something happens that doesn't make sense, something happens that we wanted to happen or we didn't want to happen, something that didn't happen that we wanted to happen, there's something, there's something very, I need to know you. There's, a, there's an element of faith that's not just moving mountains. There's an element of faith that comes when the mountain lands on top of your skull. And from the bottom of that mountain, you hear a small voice that says, I still believe anyway. I think God wants to be known more than God wants to be moved. Come on, say amen. We've got to be careful because prayer is not about getting what we want from God. Prayer is about getting God. And I think when they're saying we've been moving mountains, we've been walking on water, we've been multiplying loaves and fish, we've been casting out demons, we've been seeing miracles on a regular basis, been with you for a year and a half, two years, a year, whatever it is, our lives have completely changed. But when, when we go to pray, we go to pray to get something, to do something. We go through a ceremony. You go out while we're sleeping, and you come back with a smile on your face after praying all night, better rested than people who slept. And we don't have that. When you pray, the Father audibly answers you sometimes. <laughs> Freaks us out every time, but it's cool, you know? When you pray, you're not talking about some secondhand revelation. You, you smell like his cologne when you come out of his presence. Like you've been with God. We move God, but we don't feel often like, like we have the same relationship and they wanted that relationship. Um, and so Jesus begins to teach them how to pray. You guys still here? I got 11 minutes. You going to stick around all 11 minutes? Good, because I can see who's leaving now. Just, I'm just warning you right now. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to teach you what you asked. You asked, what's the difference between my prayer and your prayer? I'm going to teach you what it is. And he starts with one word. Father. Everybody say it with me. Do you guys know that there's about 900, an estimated 900 different descriptive names for God in Scripture? He's the God who heals. He's the God who saves. He's Abba. He's the I am what I am. I'll be what I shall be. Um, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. Um, he's Elohim. He's, depending, you know, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. He's Yeshua. He, but about 900 different descriptive words saying, that's God, that's God, that's God, that's God, that's God. He heals me. He provides for me. He delivers me. He's a jealous God. He, you know what I mean? And, and they punt all these different things. About 900. So why out of this huge array of descriptive names for God, says Jesus, say, if you want to pray like I pray, this is the place to start. And let me say this to you. We're, we're beginning a series on prayer. We're not going to get very far today because I don't want to get farther than this today. I want us to grasp the fact that when we pray to know God, I need you to understand God wants to be known. We're not fighting with him to know him. <laughs> if anything, God is fighting on our side so that we can know him. Prayer begins with a revelation. Like if he's, if he's the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, I, I get that, and that's important, and there's different times we're going to call upon the various descriptive names of God, but understand this. Until you know he's your daddy, it doesn't matter what you pray because the best you'll get is a moved mountain or an hour of discipline when really what prayer is all about is knowing him. And if we don't know him, why are we praying? Prayer is about knowing God. And he begins with this, Father. What's that word mean? Look at this. Father is the word pater. And you got to roll your R after that, which is cool because I go to Mexico, so I, I can roll my R. Pater. 
it, and, and it means, you know, a progeny, the one, like a respected elder, blah, blah, blah. But it says of Christians, when it's used in this sense, of Christians, as those who through Christ have been exalted to a specially close and intimate relationship with God and who no longer dread him as a stern judge of sinners, but revere him as their reconciled and loving father. Jesus teaches to pray. And he says, Jesus teaches to pray. And he says, Peter, one who has reconciled us, one who knows us, one who loves us, one who invites us, one who's on our side, one who's revered, but he's, he's not terrifying. He's awesome. He invites us to know him through this thing called prayer, which, by the way, again, is one of the most natural things you'll ever do. And some of the reasons we don't pray, we're going to get into in the weeks to come. But we feel like it's got to be that hour or it's not worth it. Fifteen minutes isn't really prayer. Can I tell you that I can draw a straight line if you are saved today and you are not of direct Jewish descent? I can draw a straight line to your salvation from a prayer that happened in a, in a matter of minutes because lunch wasn't ready yet on a rooftop. Where Peter goes in and he... He says, uh, is lunch ready? They go, no. He goes, well, let's go on the roof and pray for a little while while you're fixing lunch. He goes up on the roof, on the roof and he just throws one up. God just wants to spend some time with you. And God lays this vision on him of a, a sheet ascend, or descending from heaven with unclean animals. And here's a voice saying, go and eat. And he says, I'm not going to eat that stuff. That's against the laws of Moses. I'd never eat those things. And, and then it happens again, and this vision repeats. And he has this audible, visionary conversation with God. And, and God says, don't call anything unclean that I call clean. And what he's doing is he's using a metaphor of unclean animals to reach out to an un-Jewish world called the Gentiles. Hello. I can draw a straight line to your salvation from a prayer on a rooftop in Caesarea that lasted all of 90 seconds. Don't tell me there's such a thing as a small prayer. We serve such a big God that the smallest prayer can, can amount to the greatest moment of revelation for the world. When Jesus prayed simple prayers, God did extraordinary things. We cannot equate the time we pray, amount of time, with success or failure. We cannot equate whether or not the mountain moves with success or failure. Because the discipline and the power of prayer is found in the person of God the Father through God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And so I'm telling you guys, you pray a lot more than you think you do. You pray a lot more effectively than you would ever believe. I believe that God has changed the destinies of, of people and maybe even the directions of nations because of prayers you forgot you even prayed. God responds to the prayers of his children just like you respond to the requests of your children. Amen? I'm here to tell you guys, we've got a lot to learn in prayer, no doubt about it. But one of the things you've got to learn, first of all, is that your prayers are already moving the planet. Your prayers are already moving the hand of God. And until we get rid of this success or failure mentality and just define success as spending one moment with him, one conscious moment with him, that is the greatest success of prayer you'll ever pray. That is the greatest result of any meditative thought, any meditating on scripture, any meditating in worship, any, just you would be shocked at how often you're connected to who he is, not realizing you're, you're connected because you thought prayer was this and you're over here doing that. Let me tell you something, just about everything you do has prayer in it, around it, through it. And I want to I encourage you to start to really harness that great relationship that is waiting for us with Pater, with our Father who's in heaven. We are going to find the prayer is as natural as breathing if the goal is to know who he is. 
because God has paved that road every time. So let's do this right now. Everybody stand your feet and nobody leave. I have four minutes left, and we're going to use it this way. I want you to close your eyes. I want you just to calm your spirit for a moment without asking for a thing, without worrying about the clock. Your assignment in this moment is to connect to who he is. Don't ask for a thing, not yet. Let your heart reach out to him. Feel his touch on your head. Hear his voice in your heart. Father, we come today in this moment to ask for nothing but you. Perhaps the greatest prayer we'll ever pray is that I want nothing more from you than you right now. I desire nothing more from you than you right now. My heart and my soul thirst for the living God. I look to the mountains where my help comes from. My help does not come from the mountains. My help comes from you, my God. Listen to King David as he sings to his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Listen to Jesus saying, when you pray, let me teach you. Listen now, here we go. When you pray, pray this. Pater, Father. One who's been reconciled. One who's in right standing. One who has no veil of division, no separation between your heart and his. When you pray, the way to begin prayer is by beginning without asking for anything but him. And let me tell you something, guys. If you get there, does it matter the mountains move? Yes, because the kingdom comes and as well as done in mountains move. Does it matter how long we spend in prayer? Certainly. Things happen in 15 minutes that don't happen in 15 seconds sometimes, especially when you're wanting to get to know him. Things happen in an hour and a half that don't happen in 15 minutes. Things happen in a day and a half that don't happen in an hour and a half. There is. That's why Jesus goes away all night. That's why Jesus disappears so often. It took time. Relationships take time. But understand this. I think you're praying a lot more than you think you are. God's hearing your heart. So, Father, what is on our heart today, and our assignment, I guess, is simply this. I I know you want to heal people. I know you want to deliver people. I know you want to forgive sins. I know that the kingdom is coming. I know your will is being done even in this moment. But, God, if it all moves and it all shakes and it's all delivered and it's all healed and it's all, you know, repentant, But we miss you. We've missed everything. So I pray out of relationship, out of abundance, may healing flow. Come on, pray this with me today now. Father, we pray that out of relationship, revelation will flow. And out of relationship, the kingdom will come. And out of relationship, demons will flee. And out of relationship, the nations will bow. And out of relationship, our families will be blessed. And out of relationship, our sins will be forgiven. And out of relationship, we'll preach the gospel to the nations, God. Out of relationship, not of responsibility, not of duty, not of ego, not out of pride, not out of religious obligation. May we reject the inferior acts that look godly but lack God. And the day we stand before you, may we not hear 
Anything less than well done, good, and faithful servant. God, we pray this. 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 We want to know you. Listen to me in the closing moments of the service today. If you're here, you're like, I, you know, I, I, um, I don't feel close to God. I, it's so simple. It's profound, but it is simple. 2,000 years ago, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He lives just like we live, except for one thing. I mean, he's hungry. We're hungry. He's tired. He's tired. But he's tempted as we're tempted, yet he never sins. The one thing that really separates Jesus from all mankind is not just the brilliance of his teaching or the miracles or the signs or the wonders or the, the prophecies fulfilled. Really what it is is the thing that makes him uh, really positioned to be what we needed him to be, what the Father needed him to be, is he never gave in to sin, not one time. Then Jesus stands in the place of all mankind, all sinners, worthy of execution, worthy of separation from God, worthy of punishment for our sins. And instead of us being punished, it's like, it's like, a, like a secret service agent diving in front of the president to take a bullet, not intended for him, but for the president. Jesus dives between the righteous wrath of God, punishing sins as a right judge should, and instead of it coming on us, Jesus takes it for us and now our job is to believe the gospel that I just declared to you. On the third day, Jesus raises from the dead. God raises him from the dead. It's witnessed. It's in Scripture. It's in history. It's, it's not just some Hebrew fairy tale. There are uh, secular historians that note the resurrection of Jesus being a real and, and authoritative historical event. There's more evidence that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead than there is that George Washington was the first president of the United States, literally, the greatest account of any human in the history of mankind is the history of Jesus Christ. From every angle, all accounts agree Jesus is the Son of God. And when you turn to him and say, I need you, when you turn to him and say, I, I don't care about moving mountains. I, I care about you right now. We'll move mountains, but right now I need you. Something happens in your life that Jesus calls a fresh start, a clean slate, or literally being born all over again. And if you're here today, and you're not right with God, the number one thing is not moving mountains. It's not spending a disciplined hour trying to do something. It's knowing him and being known by him. And here's the most beautiful promise of all. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing shall separate us from his love. If you're here right now and you need him, just in this moment of meditative, reaching out to God, prayer, just say, God, forgive me. And, and what seems so simple, it really is. But if you understand what you just did, is you just, you just went from death to life. You just joined an army. You're in a kingdom. You have a king. I know there's a lot of blanks to be filled in, and in time, God's going to fill those in. But it starts with the decision to turn away from your righteousness to his, from your giftedness to his gift, Jesus Christ, from your way as king, your way as God, your way as, as idolatry or whatever it is, and say, I, I abandon all of that. I forsake all of that for you. I give up everything, my King, Jesus Christ, for you. And when you do that, Jesus says you cross over from life to death and you're born again. Now you can ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit because there's nothing to separate you from that. Now you can ask God to teach you how to pray. Now you're a disciple following him. May the dust of your rabbi from Nazareth cover you like, like sugar and cinnamon on a donut all the days of your life as you follow him through the dirty streets of this world.
as he instructs you and teaches you and loves you and blesses you. May you find hours and hours and hours of enjoyable fellowship, soaking in who he is, telling him who you are and being transformed by who he is and his presence in your life. Then move mountains. Then, then figure out all the ins and outs. But we got to start with a father that wants to be known. So today, Father, we start with you. And we trust that you want to be known. And we just set our hearts towards knowing you more in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's a need for prayer in your life or other stuff, it's like I need to be healed. I need to be delivered. I need to talk to somebody. I need direction, counsel, comfort, a blessing, a job, a house with pools and lands and squirrels and deer and, you know, then a group of people are coming forward whose ministry is to pray. They're coming up right now, as a matter of fact. And anytime from now to the time you leave, you want to hang out for a little while, you want to be seen walking forward, that's cool. But if you're ready, they're here to pray for you. They'll, they'll linger a while. I trust these people. They're good people. Uh, I give them my prayer requests, so I, I counsel you to do the same thing. I'm going to go back into that back room. If you're here and we haven't a chance to meet yet, love to meet you. And uh, hang out a little bit. So in the meantime, you guys glad you came? Next week, going to continue this. And in the meantime, here's your assignment. Just, Father, just know that. Walk in that. Rest in that. Love on that. And come back next week for the next step. Amen? Live long and prosper. God bless you. Get out of here. Come for prayer. Go get your kids. Come back and drink some coffee in the guest room.